0: We are entering into a stewardship focus, uh, as we typically do each fall, looking at what is God calling our church to do and to be in the coming year, and how is it we will make ourselves available uh, to God for that. And over these weeks together, we're going to be looking at the letter to the church in Corinth, the first letter, and and looking at one theme there. Now, Now, that may rattle you a little bit when I say we're looking to 1 Corinthians because there is a whole lot going on in that church whether it's selfishness or perverse sexuality or all kinds of schism that's not what we're looking at as we walk through this book there's there's one theme though that runs over and over again and it's this one O N E one in in James letter in John's epistles In the other Pauline letters, you find that five times, ten times, fifteen times. In this one short letter of about sixteen chapters, more than any other book of the New Testament except for the Gospels, one is found sixty times. Paul's trying to say something to this church and to us over and over again about this important and critical small little word. And so we're going to start looking at this focus. Who are we to be? What are we to do? First, by looking at verse 28, and this is the theme for today. It is for the sake of the one. Now, Paul is right to argue this. How can these issues really tie me down? I am not legally under this anymore. I'm under grace and I shouldn't have to issue with the deal with these issues. It's my right. And in verse thirty two he spells that out. I don't care if it's the Jews or the Greeks, Gentiles, or the church. Now now the Jews I get why they might be offended by this. They've had all kinds of, of, of purity laws, and so maybe they'll wrestle so so but but, but 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 I should know better, they should know better, and God says no. What about the Greeks? Those who have been outside, they've lived in this stuff. God says, no. Well, at least the church. I don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. Worried about what, how I'm going to influence them. And he looks at the church and he says, no. You always worry about the other. You always worry about the one. If you go back to Romans, when he's dealing with the same issues in chapter 14, verses 13 through 15, he says, the basis of this is love. If you love it's the other first. And we get to that beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians that we all turn to in chapter 13. Love is the basis. If you love, you defer. And Romans is even tougher if you go back to that text. This is somebody for who Christ died, and so you defer. You put down the dreamland barbecue nachos because they can't handle the pork deal, Right? You put it down because love, because this is somebody for whom Christ died. You defer to the one. The focus is always the other. I was blessed years ago to go uh, to Russia on a couple of mission trips, and I remember the second trip, and we had been taught to be careful with what we ate so we don't give any offense. Careful what we drink so not to give any offense. And whatever they put in front of you, you eat. And I was staying at a host home somewhere way out in the country all by myself with this Russian family. And the first day I come down for breakfast, a stuffed bell pepper. <laughs> Never had a stuffed bell pepper for breakfast before. It was the best thing they had. They were giving me all that they had. It was a, it was a good stuffed bell pepper. Just not a breakfast thing, but it was wonderful. The next day, we had fish for breakfast. Now, when I say fish, you need to know two things. One is, I don't really care for fish. I had fish sticks when I was a kid. I had—I I will eat catfish, fried catfish, but fishy things, if it's, I don't do, if it's fried, I can, I can eat fish. That's it. When I say we had fish, here's the second thing. When I say we had fish for breakfast, I mean that. We literally had a fish for breakfast. I come down for for breakfast, not liking fish. There was a plate, and there was a big fish. That's it. I ate that whole thing as much as I could. Why? It's about the other. I don't want to give offense to that home who's giving me the best of what they have. This is a a young Russian church being persecuted. This church who, who is going through so much. I can eat a fish. You can give up this, says Paul. These are people for who Christ died. And so he's saying to the church, it's not about you, it's about the others. Now listen, Paul realizes there are no real gods. He realizes what's going on here. He acknowledges that. But if it offends, it's got to go. Yes, we are to love ourselves. Some of us need to hear that sermon. But the love of self is always connected to what? What? Loving others. Yes, we need to love God. Well, and that's another sermon, but that's always connected to. If I love Him, that's got to pour out into how I love others. Paul is saying here in two different letters to do two different churches. If you love, you defer. If you love, you honor. If you love, it's an other orientation to life. I love what William Tinsdale says about the church. He says the church is the one institution that exists for those outside of it. Not only did he say it, he lived it. You and I know the translation work that he did centuries ago, that he was the very first one to translate using the original language, the the, the words that, again, they're faithful to the text, but they had never been translated this way. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's his work the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak that's his interpretation work or even last week's sermon knock and it shall be opened unto you seek and you shall find ask and it shall be given to you judge not lest you let you not be judged that's his interpretive work of the original text and yet because of some messy political stuff with the king's divorce he's he's deemed a heretic They would come, they would strangle him to death, and later burn him at the stake. But the recorded last words of William Tyndall are what? Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. Others! A moment of horror, a moment of judgment on him, trying to do the Lord's work, and it's not, woe is me, it's not, what about me? Oh Lord, would you open his eyes to defer, other-centered. I like what Reggie McNeil says. The North American church is suffering from severe mission amnesia. It's forgotten why it exists. The church was created to be the people of God, to join Him in His redemptive mission in the world. The church was never intended to exist for itself. I heard a great story. I don't know if I'm free to share the name, but one of your former associate pastors, um, their mother-in-law uh, or mother was ministering to their husband he was in hospice and and that woman would not leave her husband's side except she would ask that somebody would come one to two hours a week i think it was a wednesday but one to two hours a week could somebody come and relieve me this day when i heard that story this week i thought okay so she's going to go home and have a time of prayer it's a time where she can go home and get her house put together for just a few hours each week while she's with her husband serving him honoring him you know what she did with those two hours? You know why she has to have somebody come and sit with her husband? I've got kids that I need to go tutor down at the Good Shepherd program. Other centered in, in a time where all those decades of being together in marriage and she's caring for her husband, but when she gets a moment to herself, she says, who is the one that I might defer? It's a beautiful picture for us of the life of the church to be wrapped up in the other. And you see here why that happens. This, this picking up of the one, that the one is the focus. Um, it's so that, going down to verse 31 and 33, and we'll close with this, that they might know the glory of God, that God's glory might be put on display, but also so that others might be saved. And you see this wrapped up in how God responds and how he even defers for the other. I was at a conference this past week with our bishop and several other Methodist preachers from our conference at a New Room Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the, pre- the preacher for the Thursday evening service was sharing about how he had, he had spoken at a student conference. 8,000 youth had gathered. And there he was with 8,000 students in this huge room preaching to them. And the first night, 200 kids came to the Lord. And he was so excited about what the Lord was doing. And so the next night, he knew it would be a great time of worship. And even before worship started, before he even got to preach, here we are, we're gathered for the glory of God. And these kids are on fire. And he went to go preach. And the Lord stopped him and said, I need you to call Sam. He says, Lord, we're about to start worship. All these kids are going to be singing your praise, and I'm going to share the word. We're getting them all safe. I need you to stop what you're doing, and I need you to call for Sam. Sam told his friend that if you would call for him tonight, he would come. So here's this preacher with 8,000 kids, ready to worship, and he puts everything on hold, and he says, the Lord has told me to call for Sam. Sam, are you here tonight? You told your friend today, this morning, if I would call, you would come to him. The Father wants you. Come on, Sam. Come on, Sam. And a young man, way in the back, got up, and he walked halfway down to the front, and then he went and sat with a girl he was wanting to sit with. The speaker said, I could have killed that kid. (laughs) It's like, there's Sam! He's responding! No, that's not Sam. Sam, the Lord's been clear. If you're here... The Lord's calling you to come. And finally, after minutes of waiting, Sam got up from the balcony and he came down to the front. Before he could get to the front, though, his friend raced down, just bear-hugged Sam and walked him down to the front so they could pray for his salvation. Afterwards, 8,000 kids clapping and screaming. For who? For Sam, for the commitment that he made. Later, that pastor asked the Lord, Lord, why would you do that? I was going to preach. We were going to have a calling. Why would you do that? We were about to to, to just sing your praise and and glorify your name because I want you to know that I'm the kind of God that can stop 8,000 from praising for the one. (laughs) I'll stop my praise for the one. And it causes me, does it cause you this morning to look at my schedule And say, can it stop for the one? Can I stop my agenda? Can I stop my stuff so that the one might know? That's what we do every season. We have said to each other and to the Lord, we are a community that builds faithful disciples and we serve Jesus Christ. We exist for that. How is that going to be for the next year that you and I are spent in that? Not for ourselves, but for that one. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, it's the other. So that every program we have in our church, every mission that we do, every time we're gathered together for worship, we're to be caught up in who needs to hear and know Christ. And then also, as Paul closes, oh, it's for the glory of God. Who needs to know the other? Who's that other? But then also, how is it that God needs to be glorified. You've got to remember who's writing this. It's just like Lori started our service this morning. Isaiah, Isaiah saw the Lord. Paul, who's writing this letter by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's seen the Lord. And he's saying to the people of God, it's the other but it's also His glory. As we look at our own lives today, as we, as we look at this text, how is it that in my own parenting, that in my relationships, that in the way that I play, that in the way that I serve, that the way my spouse and I do marriage, the way that we do dating, it's wrapped up in the glory of God, as Renee reminded us this morning. Paul is saying to that church, whatever you do, it's got to be that. Whatever we do as a church, look, this is the goodness of God. God who says it's all about me, who is a jealous God as our text reminds us, so many times in scripture he says, oh, prefer one another, honor each other. We're a good church about that. I've seen you do that even yesterday, the way you were surrounding the Sandsink families with your prayers and your attention. We're a good church family to take care of each other and to be blessed. God allows for that and plans for that. But ultimately, our lives are wrapped up into every part, every relationship, everything for His glory. And He's going to spell that out for us in the coming weeks how we as the body are one so that we might be of one purpose for His glory, for the other, and for God. There was a Spanish long distance runner about six years ago uh, r- running in one of the big races a marathon, and uh, as he got to the very end, there was a Kenyan in front of him, and he's right about to get to the end, hoping he can catch up, but he realizes on the last straightaway, there's no way that I can catch this guy, but I'm going to do my best, glorify God in my finish, and finish as close as I can. So they're sprinting to the end. They get about 10, 20, 30, 40 yards from the finish line and there's all kinds of fanfare there and different gates that they're going through and the Kenyan stops 10 yards short of the finish line. He's looking around thinking, oh, this was the finish line and he just stops, confused. So what does this Spanish runner do? He stops right behind the Kenyan, taps him on the shoulder and he points to the finish line. And the Kenyan realizes what's happened. And then he races across the line and the Spanish runner runs in behind him. I want to read to you what the Spanish... This is a famed coach in marathon running. uh, And here's what he said. This runner, Ananya, has wasted an occasion. Winning always makes you more of an athlete. You have to go out and win. What would you have done? I know what I'd have done. I'd have never been in that race. (laughs) (laughs) Marathon? Have you looked at me? No, that's not happening. What would you have done? What would I have done? This is my chance for my glory. This is going down in the record books. It's not about me. It's about him, and it's about God's glory. It's about the other and the other. John the Baptist says it this way. I must decrease. Christ must increase. You go to the beginning of this letter. What is Paul saying to the church? I don't care if it's Apollos. I don't care if it's Cephas; I don't care if it's me. Go back to chapter 131. He who glorifies, let him glorify the Lord. It's him. So it's a great season for us as we look through this letter with all of their Stuff, and all of us have stuff. We can confess that, right? All of us have stuff. As we look at our stuff, Lord, show us over these weeks together. As we're looking to 2019, but even further. Where is the other? Where is that girl or boy that need a mentor today? That I can spend a couple of weeks giving myself away, and it will have eternal significance? Who are those two people in our church family who will do that today? How is it with our student ministry who this week, this coming year, are stepping out in faith for the biggest international trip I think they've ever had, going the furthest they've ever gone, who's going to financially support that? Who's going to cover that in prayer from this day till they leave? Who's going to go with them? Who's going to say, it's not about me, it's the other so the other will know who is that sam in your life so many other things going on but you need to stop and say it's about the one i know there are eight thousand here that want to want to want to worship me but god said it's sam i want you to know it's about the one who is that for you especially as we're beginning to think about next year and our giving and our serving, and our commitment to to worship together, and our commitments to prayer and Christian disciplines, how can we be better wrapped up in God's glory? It's about Him, and it's about the One. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank You for this, Your Word, for what You say to us about the calling and mission of the church. Father, over these weeks, we pray Your Holy Spirit will just Encourage us, call us, give us clear vision to the things that you would have us to be about for your glory, but also to bless others. Help us to put ourselves to the side and to see the great calling you have upon our lives to serve, to give, to bless, to pray, to share, to testify so that others might know, that others might be saved. Father, we pray that these weeks would be for you, that these weeks would be for the great mission field you've blessed our church with. Oh, help us to respond. And it is in your name, in your son's name we pray. Amen.